0: Uh, I'm a member of a Facebook group called Inner West Plant People. Now, it's not about people who are sort of growing things out of them. It's not a horror movie. Uh, People post photos and uh, ask questions about their plants, questions about how their plants can thrive, the best way to feed or prune or care for them. They post photos of insects. Can you identify this pest? other problems that might harm their plants. There are 10,000 members in the inner west uh, who all want plants to flourish. But what about human flourishing? Flourishing at life? How to live the best sort of life? What about how to live a life that's healthy and enjoyable and rich? How do you live a blessed life? Where are the Facebook groups to help you with that? Because that's a question that's far more important than how to grow plants that thrive. Anxiety, depression and stress are rampant. Loneliness and relationship breakdowns affect most of us. Addictions to alcohol, drugs and gambling, poor lifestyle choices and recently the threat of COVID uh, threatens our physical, social and mental well-being. In the face of all of that, How can I thrive? How can I escape the pressures and the traps that drag me down and limit me? How can I access a life that's fulfilled, a blessed life? I don't see too many people posting questions like those on Facebook. But they should, shouldn't they? These are the big questions of life. They're the questions we all want answers to. They're the questions... Uh, We have when we buy the self-help books or watch the TED Talks or go to conferences or join support groups or listen to podcasts. We want to know the secret of flourishing. Those are the questions Psalm 1 answers for us. So listen up. If your Bible's not open, do it now. Find a pen. Make some notes. Well, Psalm 1, obviously, it's it's the first psalm. Uh, It's the first of 150 psalms, but it's more than that, it's a gateway psalm. It's advice for interpreting and approaching the rest of the psalms. It's the key that unlocks them, it's the lens we look through to the other psalms. And what that means is the way to get the most out of psalms is to follow the advice of this first psalm. Now, psalms, it's a collection of poems arranged into five books. Uh, five books, Psalm 1 and 2 are an introduction, Verse uh, Psalm 3 to 41, that's book 1, 42 to 72, book 2, 73 to 89, book 3, 90 to 106, book 4, 107 to 150, book 5. Uh, five books, just like the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, the five books of the law or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, whoever collected and arranged the Psalms, I think, did that intentionally. Arranged them into five books. Now, that word Torah, law is not a great translation for that word. Wisdom or advice is perhaps better. So what we have in the book of Psalms is a five-book collection of Torah. God's wisdom or advice for life. And Psalm 1 especially, and also Psalm 2, are our key to understand the advice of Psalms, the wisdom for life. We'll look at Psalm 2 next week. This week, though, it's Psalm 1. Uh, We're going to look at Psalm 1. It uh, divides fairly easily into two halves. Verses 1 to 3, the way of the righteous. Verses 4 to 6, the way of the wicked. Now, this first section describes the way of the righteous, a blessed life. In other words, a life that shows the fruits of God's good gifts. That's what blessing is, God's good gifts. A life that's fulfilled and flourishing and thriving. A life the way God designed it. Now perhaps surprisingly, the key to blessing is not about what you should do, but about what you should avoid. The key to blessing is not so much what you do, but what you should avoid. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. It's the power of saying no. The way of wisdom is not the popular way. Most of the time peer pressure will lead you away from God rather than towards him. The key to thriving will probably not be found at the top of the bestseller list or the podcast ratings, or the highest ranking Google review. Popular opinion says these things. Look after number one. Hold on to what you get. Don't give it away. Joy is found when you pursue pleasure. Self-centred ambition is the key to success. Be true to yourself. Above all, Rules and guilt are bad. Freedom is always good. That's what the world says. That's what financial advisors, life coaches, social media influencers, academics, personal counsellors and self-help gurus will teach you. But true blessing, true flourishing is not found there. True blessing will only be found when you learn to say no to those voices. Ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, life has been about a choice between good and bad, between wrong and right, between wisdom and folly, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. The snake said that true wisdom and life and flourishing would be found when you ate the fruit. Adam and Eve said yes, when they should have said no. And the life that God had declared to be very good and that he blessed became something very different instead. And for us, the path to blessing and flourishing is found in the same direction, is found in saying no to the wicked. So firstly, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Just because people who are popular or clever or cool say you should do something, it doesn't mean you should do it. As my mum always used to say to me, just because they tell you to jump out the window doesn't mean you have to do it. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't hang around with people who are a bad influence. If you spend enough time with the wrong sort of people, their attitudes and their priorities will just stain you and infect you. Just walk away. Also, as my mum used to say, if you lie down with dogs, you'll wake up with fleas. That's it. If you hang around the wrong people, don't be surprised if you end up doing the wrong thing. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Thirdly, don't sit in the seat of mockers. Now, probably specifically, if we think about the original audience here, we're thinking about those who are mocking obedience and faithfulness to God. Israelites are probably stuck in exile. And they're saying to the faithful Jews, why why are you continuing to trust God? He's obviously failed us. Look at what he's done. There are no eternal consequences for your behaviour. Why are you bothering to do what's good? You're just going to miss out. Why bother following God? And the psalmist says, don't sit in the seat of mockers. Don't let their criticism, their negativity, their their cynicism influence you. They'll make fun of your integrity. It's outdated, it's irrelevant, it's worthless. You won't succeed. People will take advantage of you. And don't sit there. Notice the slowing down from walking to standing to sitting. There's a trend away from blessing and it's a gradual conformity to the world a gradual conforming, a greater and greater influence on you. The infection moves from external to internal. First you accept their advice. Then you begin to do what they do. And then finally your attitude becomes infected as well. But how do you stop that? Where do you get the power to say no to those influences, Especially when everyone around you is saying the same thing. Especially when their advice seems so rational and logical and popular. Especially when that behaviour just seems to come so naturally to you. How do you stop? How how do you say no? Well, verse 2 tells us that the power to say no comes from delighting in something better. The power to say no comes from delighting in something better. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Tune in to a different voice. Listen to the God who made you, who knows you best rather than the ignorant scoffer. Listen to his law, the Hebrew word is Torah. It's not a bad translation, law, but it's more than law. It's wisdom, it's guidance. It's advice. And don't just listen to it, delight in it. It seems a contradiction, doesn't it? Uh, Delight in following laws. Normally, people see laws as limiting and controlling and preventing joy. But there's delight in following God's Torah. The Torah of the Lord gives precious life hacks to flourish. Advice that's good from our wise, powerful, loving creator. It's delight worthy, so delight in it. What does delight look like? How does it show itself? Second half of the verse. On his law he meditates day and night. Regular, consistent, committed, focused attention. It's an interesting word. That word that's translated meditate It's not the regular word for meditate. There's there's two words. There's one that's really common, and this isn't it. Uh, It literally means to mutter or mumble. Psalm 2, verse 1, translates the same word as the people plot in vain. It's translated plot, and, and here it's translated meditate. So what does it mean to mutter over God's word day and night? Well, the Jews took it literally and they would mumble aloud. You can still hear Jews doing it today at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. They'll stand up close and they'll pray or they'll read the Torah and they'll say it out loud. That's the very least of what it means, but perhaps that's part of it. I think the point is when we study God's law, it needs to be more than just with our heads. It needs to affect our bodies It needs to be more than just our eyes reading the words and our brain interpreting them. Delighting in God's law has to be practical. At the very least it will mean reading it aloud, at least sometimes. Perhaps writing it out longhand, using a journal, underlining, highlighting, asking and answering questions about it, reading a commentary, discussing it with friends. Working out how it applies to your life, doing a course like How People Change. (laughs) Pray the psalm back to God. There are all sorts of ways that you can help God's Torah sink in as you mutter over it so that it'll make its home in you. We've seen the way the wicked influence us more and more deeply as it moves from walking to standing to sitting. God's Word should be doing that in us. It should be influencing us more and more deeply and practically as we meditate, as we mutter over it day and night. Do you delight in God's Word? Is that a word that would describe your attitude? Are you consistent in your reading of it? Is it daily? Do you come to it with expectation and excitement? Or are you inconsistent? Is the Bible on the shelf gathering dust? Where does the Bible sit in your priority of information sources? TV, newspaper, websites, books, magazines, Bible. Maybe rather than delighting in God's law, enduring God's law better describes your attitude, or ignoring God's law. We would say that we value the Bible, but does that show itself in how we treat it and how much we read it and how much we value it and pay attention to it? January is a great month for making resolutions, but why not make this one uh, that you commit yourself to being focused and serious and regular about God's Word individually or with someone else? delight in God's law. Verse 3, we find out why the writer delights in God's law. Verse 3 shows us the practical outcome as we meditate on it. He doesn't describe its characteristics, but he actually describes what God's law produces. I wonder if that's because Psalm 1 is our doorway into the Psalms. And and so verse 3 is really an advertisement for what will happen if you meditate on what follows. Meditate on what follows and here's what your life will be like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Here's the picture. You're driving through the Australian outback. It's desert, sand, rocks, withered shrubs, almost nothing alive. But then you come around a corner and drop down into a gully and there's the river. And all along the river are tall, strong, healthy river red gums because their roots have dug down into the precious moisture and they're thriving. They're flowering. They're strong and healthy and solid. It's a metaphor for a flourishing human life, a blessed life, planted by streams of water. That is, life that's connected to sources of nourishment. At the very least, physical and social and emotional life, but especially spiritual life, Uh, the life of God's Spirit, uh, all from God himself. The picture describes a life that yields fruit. Whatever he does prospers. A A blessed life is one of influence and effectiveness, a life of substance and significance, a life that is not wasted, A life that, when it's over, is missed, that leaves a hole. And the leaves on the tree don't wither. It's a life of stability and longevity. A life that can't be shaken or upset by trials and difficulties. I think it's not too much to say... This is describing a life that will face trials and difficulties. A blessed life is not one that is difficulty free, but a a blessed life is one that is not shaken or destroyed by the difficulties. That's our picture, a blessed life. Someone who delights in God's law and meditates on it. What an attractive advertisement. Perhaps you can think of people whose life resembles that, who you respect, who wouldn't want life like that. Well, then we come to verse 4 to 6, describing the alternative, the way of the wicked. This is the way of the person who does walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does stand in the way of sinners, who does sit in the seat of mockers. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked... They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. On the one hand, we've got a thriving, enduring tree, but the wicked instead are like chaff, dead grass, unstable, temporary. Now that's the eternal perspective on the lives of the wicked. At the moment, their life might look pretty similar from the life of the righteous. They may be succeeding in life. They may be thriving. But these verses are telling us that the wicked are actually like cut flowers in a vase. They look like they're alive, but they're dying. They're cut off from the source of nutrition and they're dying a little bit more each day. That's the fate of the wicked eventually they'll face God's judgment. By choosing to stand in the way of sinners now, they won't stand in the judgment then. Well, that's it. That's the psalm. As far as advice goes, it's a fairly stark, a fairly obvious choice, isn't it? Don't listen to the wicked. Follow God's advice. Simple. Of course you'd want to be the planted tree rather than the windblown chaff. Of course, you'd want to flourish rather than face judgment. So this psalm is telling us, just read your Bible and do what it says. Simple, but not easy. If that's where I finish today, I'd be setting you up to fail. If that's where I finish today, it would be depressing, wouldn't it? It's not because it's wrong advice. It's correct advice The problem's not the advice, the problem's in the implementation. The problem's with us as we receive it. Because none of us on our own can do this advice. We can't follow this advice. We can't do it consistently and thoroughly. Perhaps we can do it for a morning, but then by the afternoon we've failed. Each of us do it again and again. Each of us is headed for the destiny of the wicked because we don't say no to the influence of those around us and we don't delight in God's law. In fact, there's only one man who fits this description. There's only one man who has followed the advice of someone consistently and completely. One man who never walked in the way of sinners, who always delighted in God's law. There's only one man who has truly flourished like this picture of the tree, One man who drew on the waters of life from God's spirit and who prospered in everything and whose leaf didn't wither, even to death. Of course, it's Jesus. Jesus learned the lessons of Psalm 1 and he followed its advice. He lived it out. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Hit those buttons on your smartphone or flip the pages. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He needs to say no. He needs to say no to the counsel of the wicked. Because verse 4, his source of life is not found in bread alone, but God's word gives him life. Again, Satan tempts him. And he says no to the temptation to protect his own life when he knows his father's will is to lose his life. And Jesus says, verse 7, the Torah says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So I'm going to say no to you. And thirdly, he says no to the temptation to seek honour and glory and splendour for himself. He says, verse 10, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you notice how all the temptations from Satan are for what will produce a flourishing life? A successful, a a powerful, a comfortable life. A life that all of us would say, yeah, that's a blessed life. But Jesus has learned the lesson from Psalm 1. He's learned that that's all deception. He's learned that blessing comes instead from delighting in God's law and meditating on it day and night. And because he's meditated on it, he can quote it back at Satan in the face of those temptations. Now as we keep reading Matthew, we see how Jesus lived out that commitment. We see how he lived a blessed life, a flourishing life, a life that was guided by God's law. As we keep reading the four gospel accounts, we see the most fruitful, significant, attractive, wholesome, inviting life that's ever been lived. But that's not all. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus invites us to join him. To join him in the blessed life. He invites us into the life of the kingdom. He sees the crowds who've come out from the cities into the wilderness because they're hurt and desperate And in pain, and he says to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Don't come to the kingdom, says Jesus, looking for a blessed life with your assets, with what you can contribute. Don't come looking for the blessed life with your achievements with your goodness, your determination, your good intentions, your New Year's resolutions, they won't do it. You can't get there in that way. Come Come by being poor in spirit. Come by mourning. Come by being meek. By ourselves, no one is capable of resisting the call of the wicked. No one is capable of consistently delighting in God's law. But Jesus says to join him, to trust him, to count his obedience of Psalm 1 as your obedience, to receive credit to your account from his righteousness. And then Jesus fills us with his spirit. He pours the life-giving water that causes the tree of our life to flourish. He pours it into us so that we can flourish like that tree. And His Spirit gives us the desire and the power to follow Psalm 1. His Spirit gives us the power to say no to the world, the power to love God's Word, to meditate on it and obey it. And so, as we read Psalm 1, don't despair, don't feel guilty that you failed again and again. Don't struggle and try harder and fail. Worship, rejoice in our Lord and King Jesus, the one, the only one who followed the advice of this psalm and then the one who invites us to join in his obedience and then pours out his spirit on us to give us the ability and the motivation to keep it, to keep his law, to keep this psalm And as we do, our lives can increasingly resemble his. And we can learn and live out what it means to flourish, to be trees planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither in the face of difficulties. Whatever we do prospers. May God make that so for us. Let's pray.